you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to get there in just a minute. I want to first of all just share kind of a, a bad story on myself, all right? Uh, I shared it with uh, Weidman's here. Saturday morning, yesterday morning, I had the chance to go speak at uh, Central Baptist Church at their men's prayer breakfast. And so got Friday night, got home kind of late, got ready for, for bed. And so Saturday morning when I woke up, I was running a little bit late, and Ron Heimer, uh, who's a friend, retired pastor, he texted me about 7 o'clock, said, hey, I'll go with you. And so I got ready. I had on like khaki pants, and, and after I just getting ready to go, I thought, you know, I'm probably overdressed for a men's breakfast at church. And so I run back in, I grab my jeans that I had on the night before, and I rush out. And so we drive down to Central Baptist, we get there. And we kind of mingle with the guys, talk with them a little bit. And then, then uh, they had a little bit of an opening, and then the pastor turned it over to me. And so I, I shared mostly my testimony. And so after I shared for about 20, 25 minutes, I sat down. And when I sat down, I noticed there was a lump in my pants. How many of you have ever had a dryer sheet stuck in your, your pants? Yeah, this wasn't a dryer sheet. <laughs> Bigger. And so, all of a sudden, I had just, I've just been speaking. I've been walking around, talking, speaking to them. Sat down. And when I sat down, I noticed this lump. I hadn't noticed it all morning. How many of you are curious? I was curious. So I, I, I pulled my pant leg up while the pastor was up giving some closing comments. You'll never guess what was in my pant leg. My underwear. <laughs> From yesterday. When I took my pants off real quick and threw them up over the door, go to bed, and when I got back up, I just pulled my jeans on in a hurry, and I rushed out. I thought to myself, God could have told me that. <laughs> no, he waited for me. I visited fellowship. I got up and spoke with everybody, walked around in front of everybody. Two things I'm thankful for. Number one, I'm thankful my underwear didn't fall out while I was talking. <laughs> if I were God, I probably would have let that happen. And so I'm thankful the underwear didn't fall out. Number two, I'm thankful it wasn't a women's prayer breakfast. All right? Can you, can you imagine trying to explain to people? If they see underwear fall out, they would think, my God, his, his, his underwear just fell right off. So if, if you have a little bit of a weird day, just think of me. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. All right? I did, by the way, I, you say, I, I, once I knew it, I kind of reached up and tucked the underwear into my sock. And I told Ron, as soon as they dismissed, I said, Ron, we got to go. Got to go. Even though it, it hadn't fallen out to that point, I didn't want to risk it. I didn't want to risk it. So we got out to the car, and I could have not said anything because nobody knew. Nobody knew. I said to Ron, I got, I got to tell you this one, man. I reached down, I pull out my underwear, and he laughed. 
I'm just telling you, life is crazy. Don't ever pray, God, humble me. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now, what could have been worse, what could have been worse is if I would have had Brenda's underwear in my pants from the dryer and they fall out. That would have been harder to explain. Anyway, I didn't even tell Brenda when I got home. I didn't say anything. But I decided today I felt like confession is bad for the reputation, but it's good for the soul. Amen. So anyway, life happens, all right? Life happens. So last week we were talking about walking in love. We did a series on the spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, where Paul said, desire earnestly the better gifts, desire to prophesy. And we talked about that. And in between these two chapters is the love chapter. And again, in the love chapter, Paul says, in essence, I don't care what kind of gift you have. If you're not doing it in love, it's nothing. And boy, just a reminder to me that I need to slow down and just a long life journey just to share the love of God as I go through my, my daily life. So today I want to talk a little bit about knowing God. Because as we know the heart of God and we know who God is, it obviously spills out in our life. Now there's a difference in knowing someone and knowing about someone, right? A lot of us know about a lot of people, but that's different than knowing somebody. So I want to give you an example. All right, if I were to ask, uh, how many of you feel your blood pressure starting to rise? All right, <laughs> that tells me what you know about these people. But if I were to say, how many people here know these guys? I don't think anyone here could honestly say, I know them. We know about them. And if you tell me what, news station you listen to I can tell you what you believe about them all right but again we don't really know them but we know about them and now I want to put a guy here in the middle yeah which one doesn't belong all right <laughs> one of these three does not belong and you will never ever probably ever see my picture in the middle of these two guys probably ever but the guy in the middle, if you're connected at all, you would say, well, I, I know something about him because we've bumped elbows, we've worshipped together. But again, there's a big difference in knowing someone personally and knowing about somebody. And I just want to say all of us have learned about God when we grew up in church. And depending on the church you grew up will kind of help shape and mold what you believe about God. But I want to say it's not enough to know about God because we may have been told things about God that aren't true. I, I kind of grew up, and I don't know anybody that specifically told me this, but I kind of grew up believing God was kind of like a boss that liked a lot of production. That if I'm going to make God happy, I got to produce, I got to work, I got to do. I kind of saw God as a military general. Military generals, man, demand you jump and you take all the orders and you just follow instructions. But to discover God as a heavenly father was such an incredible gift. But again, what you believe about God may be different than who God really is. You know, you may have been taught God loves the color green. So you wear green all the time, even have green underwear. You may get to heaven and find out God didn't really care that much about green any more than any other color. So it really is important not to know about God, but to know God on a personal level. You know, there are some sad verses in the Bible. 
I think in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, maybe one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament is when Jeremiah said to the people, the summer has ended, the harvest is past, and you are not saved. I'm going to tell you, that's, that's a heartbreaker. Summer's over, the harvest has ended, and we are not saved. Man, that, that kind of grips your heart. But in the New Testament, I would probably go to Matthew 7 here, when Jesus was speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read together from Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I can't think of anything much sadder than someone who has worked and served God all of their life, and when they die and stand before God, they realize they don't even know him. So it really is important not just to know about God, but to know God in a very intimate way and so that's why i think in the bible there's a strong emphasis in the bible on knowing god i mean if you look from the old testament all the way through the new there's an amazing emphasis on not just learning about god but knowing god on an intimate basis all right so let me give you some examples in the old testament in the book of isaiah god says to the people in chapter one and this is out of the Amplified Bible. The ox instinctively knows its owner and the donkey its master's feeding trough. But Israel does not know me as Lord. My people do not understand. How sad that the people are going through all the motions of religion and they don't even know God. I mean, they, they've heard about God and they believe that, 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 that God is all about performance. And so they are performing off the charts. But God looks down and sees all these people going through all the motions. And he says, they don't even know me. I mean, how sad is that? The book of Hosea, maybe more than any other, it says in chapter 4, verse 1, there is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. They were busy going to church and they were very busy with religious activity. But in all of their activity as they were serving God, they never knew God. It goes on to say, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And he encourages his readers, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. We need to pursue knowing God on an intimate basis. And then there's the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. And you say, well, did it get any better as time went on? Not really. It may have gotten worse. But again, religious activity was at a high but the knowledge of God was at an all-time low. And so in the book of Malachi, they say to God, how have we despised your name? And he answers there in chapter 1 by saying, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar. When you priests present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? And so they were presenting God leftover, unworthy sacrifices. And God was so upset. It wasn't that they weren't giving to God, but they weren't giving their best. 
They were just kind of giving God the leftovers. As a matter of fact, God gets so upset at them in chapter 2, he says, I'm about to take the dung of the animals that you sacrifice and smear it in your face. How many of you think that would be a wake-up Sunday? You know, for God to be that upset that he says, I'm just so upset at giving me less than your best, I'm about ready to take the dung and put it in your face. I want to tell you, God deserves our best. And when we fall in love with God and realize that he gives us his best, we naturally want to give God our best. So when you're in love with someone, it's not hard to give. So it wouldn't surprise us that when Jesus walked this earth, God in the flesh, it wouldn't surprise us that Jesus walked right in the midst of all these religious leaders and they didn't even know who he was. Isn't that sad? That you could be studying scripture, immersing yourself in scripture. You know, the Pharisees, their young boys, when they grew up, by the time they were 12 years old, they had already memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. The first one they memorized was Leviticus. I've got to be honest with you, that's not even on my bucket list right now. But they knew the Bible. I mean, they searched. They spent hours studying Scripture. Even today in Israel, you'll go and the Orthodox Jews will spend 12 to 14 hours a day studying Scripture. They pray on set times. They fast twice a week. They give tithes of all they possess. And yet when God came and walked in their midst, they didn't even know who he was. Isn't that sad? I think I've shared a song about Wayne Watson. When I was younger, this is probably back in the 70s, Wayne Watson did a song called, Would I Know You Now? I used to put the headphones on at night and listen to that song and just cry. Because the song says, it's coming from God's perspective, if I were to walk into your midst, if I were to walk into your church, would you really recognize me? Or have the thoughts and the things that we've been polluted with about God so distorted our image of God that we wouldn't even know him if he walked in the room. I want to tell you, it is so important to not just know about God, but to know God. I can't think of anything sadder than for people to go to their church and to serve God all their life and get to heaven. I just cannot even imagine God looking and saying, depart from me, I never knew you. I mean, how sad would that be? That would be the ultimate sad. So can we know with 100% certainty, can we know without a shadow of a doubt when we die, we're going to spend an eternity with God? I, I can't tell you how many people have said to me over the years, I think we're just going to have to wait till we die to see which way we go. Can you imagine playing Russian roulette with your eternity? I don't want to wait till I die to find out which way the elevator goes. The Bible says we can know for certainty. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, how can I know that I know that I know? I want to know for certain that I know Jesus. And I want to tell you, that should be everybody's passion. I think I've shared about Jerry Kraft. I don't see his Jerry here. He's up in the balcony. My goodness, what are you doing up in the balcony, buddy? You just made my day up in the balcony, man. I'm going to share this on Jerry. I meant to ask if it was okay, but I'm going to go ahead and share it, and I'll get forgiveness later, man. If you know Jerry, man, this guy is the ultimate 
jokester. I mean, this guy has a great personality. I mean, he's the ultimate just guy that makes everybody feel welcome. But when he had COVID last fall, I mean, it really knocked him down big time. It knocked him down so low that I think there were three different calls that Jerry made to me that was his last call. You know, when you call your pastor for the very last call, I mean, he actually felt like he was getting ready to step into eternity. And on one of those calls, I don't know if you remember or not, you could have been drugged up, I'm not sure, but on one of those calls, Jerry asked me an unusual thing, and Jerry's been around forever. I think he knew Moses. I mean, he'd been around forever, <laughs> serving God. This guy has served God forever. But he said to me on the phone, he said, with a very serious tone, he said, would you, would you mind sharing the gospel one more time with me? And I thought to myself, if anybody doesn't need the gospel, it's Jerry. But I think in his heart, he just wanted to make sure that he knew, that he knew, that he knew that if he were to step into eternity, that he would know Jesus. That's so important. I don't think anybody wants to hope so when they die. We want to know so. And so I, I just want to give you a few things. First of all, uh, one of the things, the ways that we can know that we know that we know Jesus if we have Jesus in our life. I know this is one of those uh, Captain Obvious. But John, in the book of 1 John, by the way, more than any other writer, I think John tries to reassure the believers that they can know that they're saved. And the book of 1 John, by the way, is a great book on describing who God is and who his children are. And the, first, the book of 1 John ends in a really unusual way. Now, the ladies are studying 1 John, which is awesome. The book of 1 John is all about describing God. God is light. God is love. And after describing who God is, John turns around and says, and his children should walk in the light. His children should share the love. And so he describes who God is and who his children are. And the very last verse seems a little bit out of place. He says, my little children, keep yourself from idols. I'm thinking, what does that have to do with anything he's talked about? But here's what I want to say. And I've been told this, I don't know it, but I've been told if you want to study counterfeit money, you don't study counterfeit money, you study the real thing. And once you know the real thing well enough, if you see a counterfeit, you know it right away. And here's the book of 1 John is, he's not talking about all the things that are counterfeit out there, but he's trying to talk about who God is, who his children are, and he closes by saying, anything that doesn't look like that, stay away from it. That's good. So one of the things John says, and this is out of the Amplified, they always make it a little bit longer, but it says, he who has the Son by accepting him as Lord and Savior and has the life that is eternal uh, he has that life. He who does not have the Son of God by personal faith does not have the life. So as simply as I can say it, he who has the Son has eternal life. He who does not have the Son does not have eternal life. I don't want anybody to ever stand before God with their list of all the things they have done. The only thing that really matters is, did you have Jesus? Did you invite Jesus into your life? And I love that, that story of the, the Sunday school class where the, the teacher was teaching the little kids about Jesus. And she was saying, kids, you need to invite Jesus into your heart. You need to invite him into your heart. And one little boy raised his hand. He said, well, teacher, how tall was Jesus? He said, well, I don't know, maybe 5'10", maybe 5'11", maybe 6 foot. I'm not sure. He's 
he raised his hand again. He said, how much did Jesus weigh? He said, well, I, I don't know. It wasn't in the teacher's book, but maybe 170, 180. I don't know. Why are you asking? He said, well, teacher, if I invite Jesus into my heart, part of him's going to stick out. <laughs> you need to write that down. That's good. And I tell you, when you invite Jesus into your heart, one of the re ways that you know that is part of him sticks out. He who has the Son has life. So when you stand before God, it's not about what church you went to. It's not about all the performance. Did you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And the second way, John says, that we can have that assurance, obviously if we have Jesus, we have life, the second thing he says in 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, which represents all that Jesus Christ is and does, so that you will know with settled and absolute knowledge that you are already have eternal life. These things have I written so that you will know. You don't have to guess. And so Scripture, Scripture gives us confirmation that we are born again. So having Jesus, number one, and then having the Bible and knowing what the Bible says, John says, I've written these things so that you can know so. I don't want anybody to go through life hoping so. You can know from the authority of Scripture that you know Jesus. So very, very important. And then... One of the evidences there that I, I love, and it's one we talked about last week, and that's love. You know, in the book of 1 John, I think it's chapter 4, verse 8, but it says God is love. And not only is God love, but John says everybody who belongs to God, they also love like God. Part of him sticks out, and they also love along the journey. Notice what he says here. We know we've passed from death unto life. We know we're saved. Why? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. So one of the ways you know that you know that you know Jesus is all of a sudden you just love the body of Christ. Because we're not always lovable. Sometimes pastors are not lovable. I've shared my story. When I was a young pastor, I had a couple in our church that didn't like me. Can any of you imagine why anybody would not love me? How many of you find it hard when somebody doesn't like you? But here's what God said to me way back then. Of course, I said to God, I can remember saying, God, if you just get rid of this couple, man, we could have revival. It's just one couple. The ones who don't love me, they probably don't love you, God. Here's what God said, man. The, the couple's not my problem. I'm the problem. And until you can love even your enemies, you're not where you need to be. One of the ways you know that you know that you know Jesus is you find yourself loving the body. In the same way that God loves us, we love each other, realizing we're all a work in progress. And even though you're a work in progress, I can love you in the process. Because I know God isn't finished with you. And so we know we pass from death unto life because his love sticks out of our life. He goes on to say this. He says, little children, believers, dear ones, let us not love merely in theory or with word or with tongue, giving lip service to compassion, but in action and truth, in practice and in sincerity, because practical acts of love are more than words. That's good. 
It's not a matter of saying we love each other, but it really is about acts of kindness, acts of service to the body of Christ. Friday night we came up here, Brenda and I, I wanted to stop up here and get something for the breakfast on Saturday. You remember the breakfast on Saturday? And so I stopped, we stopped up here at 9 o'clock on our way home. I said, I just got to run in and grab a book. And so when we drove up to church, it was already dark and there was two cars on the parking lot. Savetta Groom and Linda Carr. They were out in the pitch dark dragging hoses across the parking lot to water water the landscaping. Here they are, 9 o'clock at night. No one would have known. I wouldn't have known. But they were doing it as an act of love to the church. I just can't, there's no, I know I say it a lot, but it really is true. I am blown away by how the people of our church share their love for the body of Christ. I'm blown away. And really, it, it isn't about how big the church is or how big the budget is, but I think God's going to look at how much did we share the love of God along the journey. And isn't it amazing how God brings people across our path that we can share with every day? I got to share a story. My last slide, and I'll put this up in case I forget. I always pray, even today coming to church about 6.45, I pray, God, I just want to see you. I want to see you do something only you can do. At the 8 o'clock service, about 10 to 8, a young man walked in. First of all, we don't have a lot of young people walking in at the 8 o'clock service. But he came in and, and he just sat right up here on about the third pew over here on my left. And I got a chance to talk with him a little bit before the service. I said, are you new to the area? His name was Ben. I said, Ben, are you new to the area? He said, no, not really. He said, I live in Texas, but I'm on my way up to Wisconsin I'm up there to go to an air show because he said, I just feel like God's calling me to be a missionary pilot. I said, how in the heck did you find us in Villa Ridge? He said, well, last night I was on my way up to to Wisconsin. He says, I got on my Google and I, I Googled, where is the nearest church? And he said, you guys were one mile away from where I was. He said, I drove up here. I pulled up on the upper parking lot, and I I had him come up. I actually had him speak at the 8 o'clock service. He wasn't planning on speaking at the 8 o'clock service. I had him come up. I said, well, how did you find us at 8 o'clock? And he said, I don't know if I should tell you this or not, but I camped out on your upper parking. He pitched a little tent up on the grass. And I'm going to tell you, when he began to tell me God's call in his life, and I said, Ben, you could have been at a thousand different churches today, but the fact that you're here, man. And one of our couples, Jim and Kelly Bigley, I don't know if you know the Bigleys, but Jim Bigley's brother teaches the flight school up at Moody in Seattle. I said, I got to hook you up with Jim and Kelly. And I was telling him about Taylor Nagel, who came from our church, who went to the flight school up at Moody, and he went back and taught at the the flight school. I said, I got to get you those names. And man, we began to talk, and man, he was just so emotional and goosebumps on his arms. and, And man, that God would weave it together, that God would bring him here, that we would have connections that would help him as he's considering being a missionary pilot. 
And after the service, man, I was just talking to Ben outside, and we were just talking, and Tom Finn walks up, who's our custodian. He says, Roger, Roger, I, I just want to tell you, somebody camped out last night up at the upper lot. I said, oh, my gosh. I said, let me introduce you to Ben. This is our camper right here. It was a God moment. I mean, who would have thought somebody from Texas going up to Wisconsin to an air show? Matter of fact, he said to me, I never even heard of Bill Rich. That's God right there. That's God. How many of you 15 years ago thought to yourself, my goal is to be at Bill Ridge Church? I mean, that's my goal. No, God has a sense of humor. That's why he brings us all together. And I always tell people, as soon as I get straightened out, you guys can leave. I got one more to share with you. If that phone calls for me, tell them I will get it later, okay? That's awesome. All right, where's Charlotte? All the way in the back. Charlotte, come up here. Last week I was sharing a story about God bringing Virginia into my life, a, a lady down at the hospital that just, she made my day and blessed my day. After the service, Charlotte was sharing a story, and I asked her, would it be possible for you to come and to share that today? And so uh, she's been in all three services. So I, I told Doug, her husband, you better be really good to her today. She's been at three services. So anyway, I appreciate her willingness when we talk about just sharing the love of Jesus and touching lives along the journey, we just never really know how, that, how God's going to use those acts of love. And so share your story there if you don't mind. The little town that I lived in, we didn't have a high school there. We went to grade school there. Then we caught the bus and rode the bus 10 miles down the road to the high school and went there. Well, along the road, we stopped and picked up grade school children that were waiting for the bus to go on into that town. And we picked up this one family. There were several children in the family. And uh, their dad was raising them as a single parent. The mother had passed a few years before. But there was one little girl that got on the bus. And she was, the, I think, the youngest of those children. And uh, the dad and the older siblings were doing the best they could trying to care for that little girl. And she was a dirty mess. She would get on the school bus and had on a little dirty dress, and she smelled bad, and she was always dirty, or her hair had never been brushed or anything. Well, she always sat by me because no one else would let her sit by them on the bus. And so I would always scoot over, and she sat by me. Well, we continued throughout the year, but I, I uh, asked my mom if I could take a wet washcloth with me to school and a hairbrush and clean her up a little bit before she got to school. And so I did this almost every day. And uh, years went on, and it was just a little girl I'd known. And, uh, but we, uh, my husband and I got married. We moved up here from down South Missouri and uh, had our family. And our older son didn't ever like living up here. He always wanted to go back down to the country and live. He liked hunting and he liked fishing and he said that people were more friendly down there and he wanted to live down there. So as soon as he got out of high school, uh, he moved back down South Missouri and uh, lived part of the time with my husband's sister, but then he had his own house after a while. And uh, he met several girls that he had dated and he said, but he didn't ever like any of the young girls his age. 
um, he wanted to marry an older girl. Well, he met this girl, and she had been divorced and had two um, children, and we just were not happy about that at all. And uh, as a result, we had never met this girl until the day they got married. We went down and went to the wedding. And uh, after the wedding was over, we just left and came right on back home. And uh, I don't know, it was two or three weeks after that, well, our son called and he said, can I bring her and come up and spend the weekend with you? And so we told him, yes, he could bring his wife and, and her little boy. And they came up and spent the weekend with us. Well, she and I were together in the house. I don't know where everybody else was, but just she and I. And she said, do you know who I am? And I said, no, I don't. And she said she remembered my face. She said, you remember that little girl that used to sit by you on the bus? She said, that was me. And uh, she was our daughter-in-law. Our son had married that little girl that I had taken care of all those years back. And, uh, but uh, my son then was, uh, we lost him in an automobile accident. They were only married two years. But she remained a big part of our family all these years, and she still is after all this time. Amen. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Be careful getting down. There's only one word to describe that. That's God. That's why I encourage us. Obviously, first of all, if you don't know that you know that you know Jesus, I can't imagine anybody walking out of here today without knowing that you've invited Christ into your life. Second of all, if you're here as a believer, I just want you to just pray that part of Jesus will stick out everywhere we go. That his love will spill out along the journey and everybody that God brings across our path, we have a chance just to share the love of Jesus. Mm -hmm.